something else very ironic um, strikes me that I want to record that I checked my email today and <clears throat> I got an email from a son of a former client of mine who apparently has started some sort of a personal development um, program online or what have you and he was sending me an email to ask me saying I haven't we haven't talked in a long time um, but I wanted to know if by any chance you'd be willing to do an interview with me um, where I could interview you about your success and how you got from where you were to where you are and that is almost laughable to me I think to myself if that person only knew you know and if that's not such a perfect contrast a perfect real-time reminder of the difference between what my life looks like now the person that I am now the goals the dreams the aspirations and the purposes of my heart now compared to several years ago I don't know what is it's the perfect real-time contrast here's a person calling to ask me if they can interview me because they somehow or another presume I am successful like I quote was back in the day uh, when this person when this person's father and I were clients uh, when he was a client of mine and I think to myself yeah if that person only knew right now on July whatever today is if that person oh 24th I think if that person realized that I have a total of $80 to my name right now, I have two checking accounts. One of them has $80 in it. One of them has zero. I owe the IRS $1,800 with interest and penalties that's going up every single month from my 2011 tax year. I have no money saved for taxes to pay this year. I don't have my own vehicle. I drive um, a 2005 Buick LeSabre that belonged to my stepfather's father who passed away and my mother inherited the vehicle. They inherited it. I live in a spare bedroom inside my mother and stepfather's house. I eat the food that they buy for me and occasionally out of my own money I buy myself Starbucks and an occasional eat out. I do not have a job. I'm waiting anxiously and have been in the school of the Lord for a long time now. I've been living in my parents' house for just over a year and I've been totally dependent upon the Lord and quite frankly them for support and assistance. And I can't, I haven't been able to take care of myself. I've been under nothing but non-stop persecution, suffering, uncertainty, um, difficult times, strained, um, financial duress, the entire time and I have an ex-wife who has drugged me through two years worth of a legal battle she has spent over forty thousand dollars to legally bully me and continues to assault me um, and use my kids against me and I have absolutely no idea where I'm going in the future every time I've even thought about trying to start a business and get back in to drive in the business, I feel very certain the Lord has stopped me and has told me to not go there. So I've been expected to sit and basically collect dust, which I haven't been collecting dust. I've been 
seeking the Lord and learning a lot. But to everybody else, it may appear that I'm collecting dust. And I have nothing. I have nothing. I bought myself a $100 pair of sunglasses. That was the biggest purchase I've made for myself in several years. <clears throat> and they were eaten by a dog. I felt guilty buying the glasses. But I, I so have such sensitive eyes. I needed some glasses, minor breaking. And a dog ate them three days later. My mom's brand new puppy dog. Climbed up on the couch, got them off the coffee table, and ate them. So... I just almost think that's laughable. It's just a good reminder. I don't know what of, but it's a good reminder of people respect worldly success. And uh, boy, that guy would not want to interview me now if I told him the truth of who I am. And, and the fact, the matter is, the truth is, in my mind, even though I'm hurting like crazy right now, and I'm still very much in the middle of my difficult season I feel that I'm more successful now than I ever have been depending upon how you define success and yet I have nothing of worldly possessions every little thing I have insignificant thing I have is in a storage bin I don't own hardly anything I mean I have more clothes maybe than homeless people do but you know and I, I stay in a nice house but that's about it and I don't have I don't own anything a watch, a couple little odds and ends, and uh, yet I have more of God than I have ever had. Um, I feel more alone than I have ever felt also though, from a humanistic standpoint, human relationships, because, because of all the suffering and because of the constant seeking of the Lord, it seems I've gotten to a place in my love and my obsession and desire for God that not very many people seem to, to make it. And so it's very difficult to find people that want to talk about God as much as I do, that want to wrestle in, with the deep things of God or to seek His face. I have a couple in my inner circle that have gone the distance with me, but, so, but I have Him. I walk with Him. I talk with Him. He guides me. He forgives me when I sin. He gives me direction. Um, again, even if the church were looking at my life right now, there's nobody that could look at my life and say, oh, there's a blessed man. There's nothing in my life from a circumstantial standpoint that would say God is doing anything for me. In fact, one might look and say God's punishing me. If they looked at simply the circumstances of my life, somebody might say, that guy clearly is in the wrong. Something's not going right because God ain't blessing him. God's beating him up. Dragging him through the mud, punishing him, disciplining him. And um, really, even though today, today it hurts, I know that God is in fact saving me from myself. He's not punishing me. He's saving me from my sin nature. He's answering my prayers. And uh, he doesn't feel close every day, but many times he does. And I feel that I'm more successful than I ever have been. My spirit knows that. My flesh rages against that idea because I, I do want some sense of a, 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 a little bit of a normal life. My flesh still cries out to have things work. And my spirit says, you have God and that's enough. And the world says, nope. In my recent Bible study times, 
I've been noticing a couple of key differences between Old Testament, Old Covenant living, and New Testament, New Covenant living. And it occurs to me the possibility that many people continue, including myself, although I feel like I've kind of been aware of this or had the idea of it for a while, that many people seem to quote the Old Testament promises and hold them inside the New Covenant. And uh, an example would be uh, the, the verses that we see in Joshua where the Lord says, if you are very careful to obey all that I say, things will go well with you, I will bless the work of your hands, and you will have abundant prosperity. These kind of promises. Even Moses uh, laid that out. And I, it seems like I constantly hear people quoting those scriptures, and it began to occur to me that this is not a promise that holds true necessarily in the New Testament. That the Old Testament was primarily one of Jesus, or the, uh, Moses said when he brought the commandments before God, the laws, <clears throat> God said, I lay before you blessings or cursing for you to choose. And it's this idea that based upon what you do, your obedience to Scripture would equal blessings, obedience. You can see King Solomon make mention of this all throughout the Proverbs. Um, many times in the Psalms it's brought up that it's this idea that if a man does this, then this <clears throat> will happen. If a man does good, he will eat, da-da-da-da-da. If a man honors his mother and father, he will live a long life. There was always some kind of a tangible reward to following the law. But... That was really the only reason to follow the law, it seems. I mean, people did love and fear God, but there was, an, there was a reward for doing so. Now, with the New Testament, it doesn't appear so much that that's the case. There is no longer a need in the New Testament for God to prove His faithfulness or to reward the faithful with abundant possessions because Jesus Christ is the foundation of the New Covenant, not somebody's works. It's a belief now. And so does a belief in Jesus Christ and the sufferings of thereof deserve prosperity, abundance? So I began to look up that word. You, you don't even hardly see the word prosperity um, or abundance in the uh, New Testament. You do not see the word success appear at all. And then I began to realize, wow, the other thing is, is there was lots of death for violations of the rules in the Old Testament. And it's not in the... Um, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament. I just got off the phone with Rick and I was trying to explain to him how difficult my day has been. And while I was on the phone with him, it occurred to me, I told him, I said, man, God has got the squeeze on me. You know, I'm on, I'm in the squeeze right now. And it's like um, being in a vice and I'm having so much pressure put on me. There's a tremendous amount of pain, which causes me to want to escape that and do something and then there's also all this financial difficulty and I feel like this is a test. I'm having the squeeze put on me and will I pass the test? Will I continue to wait faithfully and trust on the Lord when it looks completely impossible or will I take matters into my own hands and run and try and solve and be self-sufficient, solve the problem and be self-sufficient? I could see myself right now wanting to be enticed by a job offer um, trying to sell, I mean, nothing. The I've tried to sell my motocross stuff. That's not working. Um, there's no 
financial relief. You know, um, my jobs keep caving in and recanceling. Uh, I haven't gotten paid on my last invoice. Um, there's been a couple of leads that fell through, so the squeeze is on. I could see myself being enticed, you know, by a job offer right now of some kind, or um, I could also see where, like, I tried to reach out to Matt um, and say, hey, man, I'm thinking about doing some real estate videos. I can see where I'm trying to solve the problem myself. I'm trying to create a way out of this. And there's a part of me that says, well, yeah, that's what just everybody does. And yet there's this part of me that knows God is asking me, will you stay put in trust in me? I feel that is most likely what's happening is that God is putting this tremendous squeeze on me to test me, to see if I will stay put in trust in him or will I try to return back to being self-sufficient. It's 10 o'clock on uh, July 26th. I'm coming off the mountain and I'm more tired than I've ever been. I just tried to run the backside, not even really going the uphill way. And uh, I had to stop like three times and that's never happened. I knew when I woke up this morning that I was just beat, man, just so tired. And uh, mostly just from the spiritual and emotional battle. Last night, I sat on the couch crying, writing an email to a couple of my closest friends saying, prepare for the worst that my day of suffering's come, that the Lord has been really just telling me, kind of warning me in my spirit that the suffering is about to get great. And sure enough, yesterday, about 7 o'clock in the evening, my stepfather brought into my um, bed a big old legal packet. And I'm sure it is the final judgment that's been approved and ordered by the judge that has all the injustices in it. And so the day of evil today and over the next day or two I'm going to probably have to sign that paperwork and send it back and so far the Lord has continued to tell me to not defend myself and I'm at, I've been at this point where I'm like well should I at least just answer the 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 accusations you know I mean and so far I'm not hearing any of that I mean I, I may have to answer from a legal standpoint I may just have to send answers but I'm not sure that they'll do any better but the thought occurs to me that the Lord is writing a very powerful story potentially into my life. And here, I've been so naive to think that the story's been done many times, and yet it wasn't. And I can now see why God has held back any book writing, any video stuff, um, me going out sharing my story with churches, me being around other people to share it. I can see why God has held back um, just all these things. And because the story hasn't been done, has, is not finished. And the thought occurs to me how easily we have the willpower and the free choice to not be obedient and to really mess up. Not God's plans. Because the Bible says man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but in the end the Lord's plans prevail. However, we can interfere with his desire and ability to use us in his plan. And that is what occurs to me this morning, is that in every person's journey, there are multiple temptations, trials, tests, things like that, that you could react negatively to the wrong way, out of disobedience, out of trust, and literally mess up God's intended plan to write a brilliant story of redemption, favor, providence, protection into your life. And so right now, 
there are so many things I could do to give myself pain relief. I could answer the objections. I could use the resources available to me to hire an attorney, which is what I think most normal people would think is the right thing to do and fight this, and I could probably win. But honestly, everything I know about God, there's no glory in that. There's no glory in that for him if I just happen to have an attorney who does this. So I'm continuing to just go down this road of total abandonment of all things worldly and normal. Trust God. I get a text message today from this patent attorney who I just met a week ago, two weeks ago. says he wants to meet with me for lunch today to tell me about a dream he had. This morning I get a call from Rick telling me that my new mantra should be Daniel chapter 3 where he tells Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Our God will deliver us, and even if he won't, we still will not bow down and worship. And it's this idea that God will rise up and defend, and his total trust is not in him or his little weakling resources, but total trust in God. So anyhow, I just wanted to capture this because it seems like God may be writing a very powerful, deliberate story into my life, maybe. I don't want to be presumptuous, but that has been the cry of my heart is to make a big deal out of God and to bring him much glory. I haven't done a journal entry in a couple of days, so this is kind of just a a summary to try and capture some of the, the thoughts and the things that have occurred in the last week. Um, I'm picking up the kids this morning at 9. They've been on their second visit with me to Chattanooga, and I have about 10 days left with the kids before it's time for me to take them back to Florida. Um, and uh, Larry and Trish, which was just really an amazing thing, they were just here um, staying at our house for a night. And I just had a wonderful opportunity to visit with them and share some of my story and take them around and show them where, you know, some of the things like the bullying occurred. And uh, they just got to kind of put a picture in their mind of where some things happened. And we just had a wonderful time together. It was a really unique blessing that they would be here. Um, I have had a terrible eye infection that occurred while they were here just the day before. They got really, really bad, uh, like a, a bacterial pink eye. I've had to take medicine for several days. My eye got really, really bad. got to the point where it was even pretty painful. I have not heard from Jill now in at least a week. I had The last contact I had was I sent some emails to her um, trying to encourage her, and there was a couple of emails from some daily devotions that I thought spoke directly to her situation about drifting and suffering and stuff like that. And just uh, very lightly shared those with her, and I never received a response. So I'm presuming that she's felt some resistance towards that. And I know that she's going through an awful lot of suffering. She was potentially going to have to have her gallbladder removed. She had broken her finger. Andre had a an inf- a staph infection in his face. She had been uh, sick three times on the road, had to call her parents. So I know she's going through some suffering. When I last talked to her... That didn't sound evident. She didn't sound broken. She just sounded like she was going through some difficult times. I sent her an email telling her for her to just know that it seems in my spirit that her suffering may get worse, that I've been praying for her, and that her suffering may, in fact, get worse before it gets better. And that I I said, the reason I'm telling you this is so that when it occurs, you'll know to run to him. And I never got a reply back from that. I've been praying for her every day. Um... I had a dream about her last night. For all I know, that could be the enemy playing with my mind. But I find myself in a neutral place where I've really been able to let go. And Larry and Trish both confirmed that that is exactly what needed to happen. That I need to be able to let go so that God can do His work. And Larry said many times, out of our own desire to see people 
get better, we actually get in the way of what God's doing. And um, this deep lesson is coming out of this for me in that now I've, I've seen this happen with several people where I realize that as a counselor or as even a comforter, as, an, as a Christian who wants to comfort and help and exhort and encourage another Christian, that I can't do anything for another person. It occurs to me that really the only thing that can, that can come from me, the fruit that can come from me, is just the encouragement in advance of a season that may be difficult for somebody. In other words, sharing some wisdom and some lessons with somebody in advance of them going through it, such that when they do go through it, they can maybe look back and find some hope and comfort in the fact that I shared this with them in advance and that somebody else has gone through it, or to affirm or confirm what somebody is going through when they're going through it or to confirm that they've already been through it but that there's not much I can do or say if anything that will actually make a change in somebody's heart or a transformation in their condition that is only something that the Lord Jesus Christ can do and I'm having a hard time believing that there's any way it can be done outside of one way and that is through suffering and affliction Virtually every person I see that becomes more like Jesus Christ, it occurs through tremendous affliction and suffering. Not because they went to a seminar, not because they heard a good message. It seems that all these messages that we hear are encouraging and they help us get through the small little bumps. But they do little for us along the road as, as it relates to transformation. The transformation most often that I'm seeing seems to come and the renewal of the mind seems to only occur when somebody is under tremendous suffering and affliction. And I think it may be that a lot of the prosperity, a lot of the distractions, a lot of the entertainment, a lot of the busyness that we have in America is what prevents us from being able to be transformed. We are so busy chasing shiny objects and being distracted to look here and there and everywhere for our happiness and just kind of dealing with life that it takes a crisis to knock us on our feet where I think maybe in times of old or in times of Bible days maybe it didn't always require that because life was more difficult all around and there were less things to be distracted by but in America it seems that for a Christian to be truly transformed and for a brother or sister in Christ to, to grow it seems to take a crisis and that's not something that can be brought on by another Christian that's something that the Lord has to do so I've noticed that as I've been praying for, for Jill I almost felt edification in my spirit that God was beginning to enter her life through suffering. And I've been praying every single day that God would not withhold the suffering, that God would break her, that God would remove the bondage that the enemy has placed, that God would open her spiritual eyes to fully see the areas of her heart that are still wounded, fully see the places that she's still trapped, fully still see the places that she is vulnerable, and, and see fully how... Her heart is not really truly captivated by God and that she would become captivated and that he would become her magnificent obsession, that she would humble herself before the Lord and seek him with all of her heart, all of her mind, all of her soul and strength, and that she would find him. That's been my prayer for her and so I'm kind of staying out of the picture because I know that I could very well impede what, what God is trying to do. And I had a meeting with a gentleman um, named Wiley um, three or four days ago, I think on Thursday, <clears throat> the day the kids got dropped off, George Kobler, the patent attorney I'd met at Starbucks, introduced me to him, and I met him, and 
Uh, he seemed very enthusiastic and very zealous for the Lord. And, and uh, I uh, got about 30 minutes into a conversation with him where he's talking about working on some big project. And his goal is no longer to make millions of dollars but to create millions of jobs. And he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And the Lord wants him to do this. And his zealousness and the drive began to give me such a check in my spirit that I became uncomfortable and had to monitor my own body language so that I wasn't putting off those signals. And I realized this guy's 28 years old, and I left that meeting going, wow, this brother, this poor brother, he had had, a, uh, in 2010, a business collapse. And the first words out of his mouth were that he had put the, the business financially in the hands of his father, and his father ran into the ground. And um, I just, I noticed that kind of gave me a check in my spirit that there was no responsibility on his part. And uh, then I noticed um, just a real strong sense that this brother is not done failing. He reminded me so much of me when I was 28 years old, really probably 29, where I was the other side of the Lord's gym collapse, thinking to myself, wow, man, I really learned a lot of deep lessons. Man, that was a lot of suffering. Wow, surely the, the worst of my suffering is over. And I, I now have all this wisdom, and I'm going to become the super Christian, and uh, boy, life is going to be great from here on out, because I've already paid my dues. That was what my, my honest belief was. And I looked at this guy, and I felt the same thing. So yesterday, I reached out to George and expressed my concerns to that he would walk in discernment and wisdom. I, I told him I believed this guy was not done learning his lesson and that I see very few Christians and I do not see biblically how God can work through somebody that is that driven and that zealous to do something for God. That just does not seem to be the way God operates. Rarely do you see somebody who's so excited about doing something for God and that God works through them. It's usually that God pulls somebody into something that they usually don't want to initially do. That's more indicative of a call than, than somebody being driven to do something, you know, the, you know, not saying that it doesn't occur, but there just seemed to be an unhealthy drivenness there. And God wants us totally dependent upon Him, not on us or our contacts. And so, long story short, that's occurred. Then yesterday, my mom calls me while they're out running errands. I have no money in my account. I'm in the ultimate squeeze. I have no money for getting the kids to Florida, no money for my child's birthday. Um, it seems ridiculous, uh, but I have peace about all of this. I mean, I have a little bit of anxiety, but most often I'm having peace, and God is allowing me to know that I'm in the squeeze for a reason. I'm being tested. Will I once again, at the moment of great pressure, try to relieve the pressure myself? Will I take matters into my own hands? Will I reach out to save myself once again and result back, to rely back on my self-sufficiency, or will I trust God into the midnight hour? And... God is, is, I believe, testing me. I believe He's confirming this through a lot of devotions and through people that I'm speaking with. My parents are, are freaking out. They don't understand it. It looks like laziness to them. It looks like somebody who needs to go get a job. It looks like somebody who doesn't live in the real world. It looks like insanity. And uh, my mom has said multiple times, you know, we live in the real world, and, uh, you know, da-da-da-da-da, these are the facts, you're not taking care of your kids, we are, you're not providing for them, we are, you're not taking care of yourself, we are, you don't have your own car, you don't have your own place, and uh, throwing all these things up, which is obviously a lot of pressure to want to relieve that pain, to prove I'm right, to to take the, the, the slander off, and God keeps telling me to wait. It's very, very difficult. 
because I live with these people every day, primarily my mother. And uh, yesterday, my mom um, called me and said, Michael, have you, is there a Christian radio station in town? I said, yeah. She said, have you ever thought about doing messages on adversity and suffering? And I said, yeah, mom. And I let her speak and instantly I'm like, oh boy, she still just doesn't get. And um, I said, mom, my time has not yet come. God is not asking me to step out and try and find something. He's asking me to sit back and wait on him until it hurts, until I can't take it anymore, until he shows up. And um, she goes, well, I mean, I just, you know, Michael, the thing I have the hard time understanding is, you, you, you know, Paul even had a tent-making business, and he had to provide. And I said, yeah, Mom, I said, he did. And, and we don't know that he had work every day, but we do know that God provided for him, and, and he didn't have his own place. He had to stay with people and eat their food and travel around. And, you know, none of the disciples had their own places. Jesus was homeless. They were all dependent upon others. He goes, yeah, well, that was, that was, that was, uh, that was different. I said, well, they were, you know, the Bible, Jesus taught, give us this day our daily bread. And I said, Mom, I'm trusting God every day for my daily bread. And she said, well, we just don't live in that world anymore. And so it was one of those things where, again, all this pressure is being put on me to conform to what her image of the world is. And there is that fleshly part of me. This is the biggest key I'm going to say in this journal I recognize that there is that fleshly part of me that still says, wow, she's right, you know, I just need to go get some jobs. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. First of all, it would give me pain relief. It would take a distraction, be a wonderful distraction away from all this mess I'm in. It would give me a lot of answers to my problems. I just need to go do that, and I can go be the hero again. And so there's that fleshly part of me that says, I understand. I know exactly how she feels. But then the spirit inside of me says, sit still. Do the insane thing. It does, the Spirit's not telling me that, but I'm interpreting it. Do the thing that people think is foolishness. Let it be that I'm a fanatic. I mean, I've even seen these very words in, in Oz, Oswald Chambers' messages the last day that, you know, let it be that those around you call you a fanatic, that you, you continue to become a stranger. Uh, Tozer is talking about being a stranger, and let it be that you are a stranger and that people think you are strange. I also picked up on the fact that he said that it is uncomfortable to be around a Christian because part of their heart is in the heavens and part of their heart is here. And sometimes it seems like they're not there, they're distracted. And I thought, gosh, that is so me. That is so me. I'm, I'm always thinking of heavenly things. I'm barely here sometimes. So I feel like I'm on track. I have to trust. I can't see with my eyes. I'm having to walk in faith. I've got all kinds of doubters. But I do have a lot of encouragers, Larry, Todd, Rick, He's been talking with me every day. And uh, so I'm just enduring. And this morning I'm sitting before the Lord. And I saw 808 and I went and read Psalm 31. And it felt like I wrote the psalm. And I began to feel a sense of joy. Um, God has been showing me 202 a couple of times. And it takes me to Revelation 2, verse 2, where he says, I see the hard work you've done. I see uh, the affliction. I know that you can't stand the wicked that you see and that you've tested their spirits. And then he says, you know, I tell you the truth, Satan will, will want to test you. Um, I see your affliction. You will suffer for 10 days. Um, endure to the point of death and I will give you reward. And it was almost like I felt like Jesus Christ was telling me, I see what, what's going on with you. I see your affliction. I see that you're standing fast. I see your a hard work to, to believe in me. And it occurs to me that right now, my key word is just endure. I just have to figure out a way to put blinders on such that all I can see is the Lord Jesus Christ. Endure, endure, endure. 
And uh, one other thought, I've been thinking more about this this bipolar Christian blog and inviting maybe Todd and, and um, obviously Rick, primarily Rick, to be a part of this with me. And um, I get a sense of excitement in my spirit about it. I feel like a sense of joy, like a, like a sense of, of energy burst. Um, it seems like often when I think about sharing what the Lord's been doing in my life. And yesterday I started listening to this message that Rick had sent me about the, this guy, this teaching on Nebuchadnezzar. And two minutes into the message, he begins to talk about the before and after transformation in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. He begins sharing about the, look at the marvelous deeds what the Lord has done. And, and he begins to talk about Nebuchadnezzar praising God for the, de- for the deeds he has done. And I began to get tears in my eyes because I felt like I know I'm supposed to do that. And I wonder if it's that that season for me to begin sharing is now. And that I need to not wait any longer. I need to begin to share what I'm going through now. I need to begin to share what I've learned up to this point. I need to begin to, 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 to give out what I've been taking in. And if it's possible, the enemy's been holding me back from that. I remember reading an Oswald Chambers thing that says when God gives you a plan... He talks about, um, you know, everything in your life will be on temporary hold until you move on that. I need to go back and find that because I thought it had a different meaning than it did. And I'm wondering if it's possible that God has given me this enthusiasm for telling the story of what he's done. And is it possible that the enemy, instead of it just being that the season hasn't been right, but is it possible that the enemy has busted my confidence and repeatedly tried to prevent me from sharing what, what God has done. Is, is that possible? Or is it possible that this is a season that God has wanted me to wait for, that I had many other lessons to learn? So I'm a little confused about that. Um, I'm going to continue to pray and ask the Lord to show me, is the time now for me to begin to sharing? And should I do this bipolar Christian blog where we just share unbelievably transparently about what God is doing in our life and really help people get set free from the idea that Christianity is about a life that works, but rather it's really about a life that endures under difficult circumstances. But because of the joy set before us, our faith in Christ and our gift, the known fact that we will be raised from the dead with Him, that we will share in His glory, that being our joy, we endure until the end. Sounds like the answer is pretty obvious even as I speak this, but I'm going to pray and ask that the Lord would confirm this. Let it be in Jesus' name that you confirm, Father, these things. God is so faithful to encourage me. Oh, I I have goosebumps right now. I just finished an 18-minute recording journal update just this morning. And last night I've been praying for God to once again refresh my spirit. I've been asking God to give me another sign to let me know that I am on track with Him. Because where I stand as a Christian, in my life and in my walk, there are two arguments that I see playing out. And there are two parts of me, a spirit and a soul, or my flesh, my sin nature. And each of these represent these two arguments. But back to the two arguments... The two arguments that I see as I look at all of the suffering, the affliction, the inability to take care of myself, the persecution, um, the being separated and set apart, the loneliness, the difficulties, all of that that's been going on in my life, 
Oh, by the way, mixed with learning lots of lessons and a deep, hidden joy that's helping me to endure through all of this, that message or that story is believed to be the right path by those that are on my side of believers, meaning the Larrys, the Trishes, the Todds, the Ricks. They all hear that part of my walk and say, man, you're right on track. Oswald Chambers, A.W. Tozer, Andrew Murray, these books I'm reading, they all line up with that part of my story being the true story. And so that's an agreement with my spirit. The other part of my story is you're living in your mom's house. You're eating her food. You're driving her car. You have less than $40 now in your checking account. You have no job. You do not know where the next money is coming from. You are living with a person who has plenty of money in the bank and has all is, is your mother who knows you better than anybody who's constantly telling you you've never been good at saving money. This is not how the real world works. You need to get a job. You need to be the one providing for your kids. Um, and obviously I am, but they are helping. And putting all this pressure on me to conform to what seems purely logical. I mean, she's not asking me to do something that's horrible or evil. She's suggesting that I need to get a job and I need to take care of myself and be responsible. And that all makes perfect sense. That's logical. Until and unless there's a message from the Lord that would say, I'm asking you not to do that right now. And that's what I feel like the Lord has done. So I'm having to try to explain to a person who sees the world that way and sees that my story is not working because I'm not doing my part, I'm not living in the real world, I'm not thinking rationally. I'm having to share with that person, God, who you cannot see, who I believe in more than anything, is asking me to stay and sit still. As a result of sitting still, I'm having to suffer. I'm having to be very, very uncomfortable. More uncomfortable than I've ever been. So this looks like complete foolishness. This story looks like complete foolishness to my flesh and to my parents um, and maybe to others that will come to know. It looks like complete divine order and divine providence and divine direction to my spirit and to those who know the Lord. So I'm stuck between these two interpretations of this one story and I've been back and forth, you know, gosh, I mean, is my mom right? Should I just get a story? I mean, get a job? I mean, gosh, that would take so much of the pain away, so forth and so on. And yet everything in me says, no, I want you to trust God. I want you to believe him. Um, And God's been trying to teach me, as George Mueller puts it, this childlike faith where I'm discovering that this relationship with God really is supposed to be so much simpler It is supposed to be that we are just these humble little, totally dependent upon God creatures. And I believe what God is trying to teach me now. I believe what's going to happen is that God is going to make the phone ring. There's either going to be a story video that's going to come. um, Something will sell. There will be some work that's going to come in as it always has. God is going to make at the midnight hour the phone ring and he will provide the finances somehow, some way such that I did not have to take matters into my own hand because God is trying specifically to teach me a lesson. You know, my stepfather and mom might look at this and gosh, and say, you know, the way we saw the world was you have to get a job and earn your way. And yeah, you do have to work. But what they do not understand 
is what God is trying to unlearn me. I just said to someone yesterday, Larry and them, I said, I think one of the reasons that this season is so difficult for me is because of the things that God is trying to unlearn me. It's not a matter of teaching me things. It's a matter of for 37 years, 38 years, I've done things a certain way and I bought into this work pattern. I I wish I could get my mom to understand the reason why God maybe has pulled me away from my work is not because I was lazy or because because I wasn't willing. On the contrary, I loved work. It was my God, and God made it clear that it was my idol. I loved work. Work was the answer to a lot of problems. It provided money. It distracted me from my problems. It made me feel prideful, a sense of dignity. It gave me a sense of accomplishment. It, it, it covered over the deep, hidden insecurities. I was able to use it as a God. It was not a matter of just working and providing. It became my God. It became the answer to all my problems. God does not want it to be that way. He told me specifically, Michael, your work has been an idol to you, and I do not want your work to be an idol. I did not create you to give your very best of you to work, rather to me, and I want you now. That looks like foolishness to those who who think you're sitting around, you got no job, you got no money. What in the heck are you thinking? What are you doing? And it looks like a complete foolishness to me, but only in my flesh. My spirit tells me over and over again, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. But this war wages on every day. And my flesh whispers, you're a fool. You're an idiot. You're headed for disaster. Your parents are right. And my spirit says, don't listen to them. Trust. Be willing to be called a fool. Be willing to sit a little longer. Be willing to have childlike faith and trust that I'm doing something in you that you cannot see and you cannot fully understand. I'm not asking you to see it. I'm asking you to trust and to believe. And if you will just believe in this, you will find a new level of faith on the other side of this that there will be no turning back from. And you will enter into a walk with me that you could have never experienced before. And because of that faith, I will be able to do mighty things through you And I will be able to use you and your story to draw other people into a walk of faith with me like this. That's what the Spirit of God is telling me. And yet equally loud, or actually more loud many times, is my flesh saying, you're an idiot, get a job. Just because you go get a job doesn't mean you have to give up your Christianity. You need to provide for your family. Your top priority is your kids. You gotta take care of yourself. You gotta get out of this house. You gotta have your own car. It's this war every day. And I have suffered enough, and I have known God enough, and I have seen enough confirmation from the Lord that I know I am supposed to endure. And it hurts. I am in a very, very dark place. This is not something where I feel bad for 15 minutes and it goes away. This is something that is occurring every day. Like I'm in this jail and I'm reminded every day of the things I'm not doing to pull my part. I'm reminded every day of there's no money in my account. I'm down to my last few shillings. There's no bril- there's no milk and there's no bread to feed the children, as George Mueller would say. But always at the last minute, there was a knock on the door or money given because they believed in childlike faith. I say all of this to then share the devotion that came today. Today's devotion from Oswald Chambers, and this is what God has been doing in some of my darkest moments, is that by God's grace 
He's been using devotions or a word from somebody to confirm word for word sometimes exactly what I have said via, I believe, the Spirit of God to confirm, Michael, you're on track. He's not giving me relief from my problem. He's not giving me an answer to the problem. He's not removing the suffering. But what he's doing is, is his grace is saying, here's a Reese PC. You're on the right track. Keep coming. Keep coming. So here's what this says. In the Bible, clouds are always associated with God. Clouds are the sorrows, sufferings, or providential circumstances within or without our personal lives, which actually seem to contradict the sovereignty of God. Yet it is through these very clouds that the Spirit of God is teaching us how to walk by faith. This is me talking. This is exactly what God has been trying to teach me to do, to walk by faith. This is everything in alignment with Him teaching me to pray, reading George Mueller's thing, to totally trust in Him. Now back to this, it says... If there were never any clouds in our lives, we would have no faith. The clouds are the dust of his feet, quote, unquote, Nahum 1.3. They are a sign that God is there. Now I have to stop again. One of the things that occurred to me, oh, it just makes me want to cry. This just gives me so much joy because being squeezed in this place between these two possible stories. You know, my 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 life and the actions and the circumstances of my life can be played out in two kind of stories. One, a man walking fervently in faith and trust in God, being willing to play a fool for Christ. And the other is a person who is a fool, a person who's believing in a senseless God, who's creating themselves, um, who's who's creating a narrative fallacy to tell themselves what they want to hear so that they don't have to work, so that they can live in this la-la fantasy land that God is there and He's going to take care of. These are the two possible stories that can be told out of the circumstances and the events that are occurring in my life. And one of the things that has been an answer to my doubting flesh is that there has been so much suffering. There has been so many things that are right in line with the the sufferings that I see in the Bible, that I say, how could this not be God? How could this not be God? The suffering, the persecution, the, the continuous slander, the blatant evil, these are to me, you know, when I know I haven't done anything wrong and somebody slanders me in such a horrible wrong way and it's so over the top, to me that is complete evidence that God is in fact involved If, on the other hand, I made some bad decision or I was foolish and I suffered at the hands of my own folly, I can't look at that and say that's God. But when I have been righteous and I have been smacked on the cheek when I didn't deserve it and it's been occurring over and over and over and when I've been persecuted because of my faith, then I can know that God is at work and that God sees. These are some of the very things I've held on to to let me know in this time of uncertainty that God is in fact ordering my steps and that God is involved and I need not fret. That I'm in this season of difficulty. I must continue to endure and one day, maybe even not in this life, I will see the meaning of all this. I will see the vindication. I will find fully my hope and fully my joy in this. And so now I return back to this part where he says that without these clouds, we would never have faith. It says, 
they are a sign that God is there. That's what I'm saying. These things, these clouds have been a sign that God is with me. What a revelation it is to know that sorrow, bereavement, and suffering are actually the clouds that come along with God. Amen. God cannot come near us without clouds. He does not come in clear, shining brightness. It is not true to say that God wants to teach us something in our trials. And this is another mind-blowing coincidence here. Revel- uh, not coincidence, confirmation. Through every cloud he brings our way, he wants us to unlearn something. See, this is the Spirit of God speaking through a man who's been dead many years, and that same Spirit has been teaching me these exact things. His purpose in using the cloud is to simplify our beliefs until our relationship with him is exactly like that of a child. A relationship simply between God and our souls and where other people are but shadows. Until other people become shadow to us, clouds and darkness will be ours every once in a while. Is our relationship with God becoming more simple than it has ever been? I'm telling you, this idea of this simple relationship with God is something that my spirit has been screaming to me. Michael, this relationship with me, in fact, I journaled it. I wish I had the journal. That it is this, it is this simple. It is as simple as... Seeking God with all of your heart, trusting in Him and His Word, obeying everything you have in your power to read and to obey, and completely trusting Him for the results, regardless of the suffering, regardless of the affliction, regardless of the results, period. That is the Christian life, in essence. It is the ability to trust Him regardless of the results, the pain, and the suffering. And here he is saying, is our relationship with God becoming more simple than it has ever been? Even George Mueller declared that the relationship with God, faith, is so much simpler than we make it out to be. There is a connection between the strange providential circumstances allowed by God and what we know of Him. And we have to learn to interpret the mysteries of life in the light of our knowledge of God. That's what I do. Everything I see and look at, I think, how does this discern from a spiritual standpoint? He says, until we can come face to face with the deepest, darkest fact of life without damaging our view of God's character, we do not yet know Him. Here I am in the darkest fact of life, and I could choose to say God is not with me. God is a farce. God is a dream or a fantasy. God is not my reality. God is an escape from my responsibilities and my realities. I could be saying that in this very hour, but my spirit, via the Holy Spirit, is not allowing me to say that. My spirit is saying, Michael, the uncertainty of your of circumstances and, and the, 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 the faith that is required to walk via the Spirit is more real and more certain and more strong and more true than anything you could possibly imagine what looks like to be the logical answer on the right-hand side. Quote, they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Is there anyone except Jesus in your cloud? If so, it will only get darker until you get to the place where there is no one anymore but only Jesus. That is exactly what God has been teaching me. That I need not run to men to let them stir up and and give me thoughts of confusion that I need to be able to totally trust God in childlike faith. And so here it is, God once again confirming, Michael, it's difficult. 
It is difficult to trust God. It is difficult to walk and to believe for something you cannot see. It is difficult when someone says you're making this all up in your mind. This isn't true. This isn't the way the world works. This is not... This is You're living a fantasy life. You're trying to escape from reality. It's difficult to continue when people that have their life together accuse you of these things and they slander you and they mock you and they scorn you. It's incredibly difficult. And even when your own flesh does this to you, this is an element that I've not really been aware of, but that my own flesh is doing this very thing to me, calling me a fool, calling my spirit an idiot for doing this. And so I do not presume that even by my recollection of these things today, that all of a sudden it's going to become easier. Walking by faith is not easy. If it were easy, everyone would do it and it would not be so pleasing to God. But nonetheless, the Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. And that we must walk by faith, not by sight. If I could see how it would all come out, if I could see God's blessings around the corner, I wouldn't be able to walk in faith. The Bible says that faith is the hope for things unseen. I cannot see what I'm hoping for. So, by God's grace, this is how God has walked with me. He does not give me always instant pain relief. He's given me just enough today to validate and to confirm and to edify this difficult season. He's validating what my spirit concludes is truth and is the way and is the path. He is that voice behind me saying, turn to the left, turn to the right. I am acknowledging Him in all of my ways and He is making my path straight. It now becomes my responsibility to choose to walk by the Spirit which leads to life and not by the flesh which leads to death. I'm at a very critical place in my walk right now because I'm at a place where my circumstances are more difficult than they've ever been before. I'm, at a, I'm in a tighter squeeze than I've ever been. I've, I have all of these things pressing in on me with the divorce and potential tremendous suffering and affliction coming from the outcome of this divorce. I have constant persecution and doubt coming from my own f mother. Uh, I have been squeezed. I have no finances, uh, nothing to save myself, no contacts, no resources, um, nothing. I have absolutely nothing but I have everything which is the Lord God Almighty but I'm at a critical place where I have to continue to desperately cling to the Lord Jesus Christ and endure I have to humble myself on my knees before him I have to resist the the, the lies of the enemy who's going to come in and constantly whisper at me you're a fool you're headed in the wrong direction you're headed for destruction you're wasting your time you're an idiot I mean, here it is, I don't even have money to buy my, today is my daughter's birthday and I don't even have the money to buy her a birthday present. I have enough money, I'm going to take her to dinner, but I'm going to have to explain to my daughter that daddy's in a season where I don't have enough money to buy her a birthday present. And somehow or another, I'm okay with that because I know that God is allowing this to happen for a reason. See, that sounds like a complete foolish thing to somebody who's in the, in the natural world. It sounds like, what an idiot. You're a fool. You don't have any money because you don't have a job. They don't understand God's telling me not to get a job. For me to wait upon the Lord. It just makes so much sense in my spirit that if I had a job, if I had money, I would not be able to be in this deep drinking from this deep well that in this very moment I'm drinking from. When pain relief comes, learning stops. Dependence upon the Lord dries up. 
It is this way I'm convinced that those whose lives work are in the most dangerous place they could possibly be if they have not yet fully found a dependence and a trust on God. This is the person that my heart longs to reach out to, the people that have lives that work and circumstances that roll and bank accounts that are flush. And yet they call themselves a Christian, but they're more dependent upon the world, their job, their their finances as their God, not God. They don't know total dependence and total trust and childlike faith in God. How could I ever go to the world and take that message unless I myself have walked fully in it, unless I've been schooled in it? And this is where I'm at. So let it be that God's grace is sufficient enough to carry me through this. Let it be that the Spirit of God continues to equip me and strengthen me and give me all revelation and all wisdom. Let it be that the Lord Jesus Christ's grace is upon me. That He brings other brothers and sisters around me to encourage me. And let it be that I'm able to, to catalog these things and begin to share with other people who I know are living in this gap of great struggle and this war between the flesh and the Spirit between faith and walking by sight. Father God, may it be that I am not enduring these things for no reason, but may it be, God, that your name is glorified by all of these things. May it be that people learn to walk in a level of dependence, that people question their trusting on their own riches, that people question. God, I pray that you lift me up in due time. Do not let me be put to shame, Father. Do not let me be left all alone and put to shame and beat down for the sake of your name, God, as the psalmist wrote but lift me up God in due time that your name might be lifted up and that I might be able to walk fully in the fruit that you're teaching me now God I love you and I thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ thank you for encouraging my spirit thank you for walking with me thank you for helping me to endure as I commit to being a fool for you Christ thank you Lord in Jesus name I pray and give you thanks amen